This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. We're in week number three of our Limitless series. Been looking at faith and the state of your faith, the condition of your faith, and what is it going to help you walk through? You know, every, everyone, Jesus said, is given a measure of faith. We've all been given something. Even if you feel like it's like real small, diminished, and, and little, everyone has a measure of faith, Jesus says. And so it all has an opportunity to grow. And when it grows, great things happen. So when you gather on Sunday morning and we're hearing the preaching of the word, it's not just to hear a lecture from a guy yelling at you for a few minutes. It's also to develop your faith. We want you growing in faith together with the believers that are around you. And so we're looking at that in this series, and we've primarily looked at Elijah and his story in the Old Testament, one of the great biblical heroines of all scripture. He was one of those people that exemplified faith, so much so that by the time we get to the New Testament, James says of him in James 5, Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, None fell for three and a half years. I mean, no, that's a pretty big time prayer. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Now today we're actually gonna look at that particular story that that's referencing. But I want you to consider today, if you're going to have that kind of faith, there are gonna be some obstacles in the way. Some things that prevent us from staying on purpose in, in solid faith in seasons of life. Last week we talked about overcoming faith and despair, but you know, there's gonna be other moments that we have that kind of divert us from being full on, 100%, the type of faith that we wanna have. And so what we wanna do today is we're gonna talk about it. And really one of those obstacles are distractions. How many of you, some of you are holding a distraction in your hands right now, right? Now it's a potential distraction, but how many you know during the day that all of a sudden you'll get a text message and whatever it was you were thinking about, now you're diverted? Or you're, you're, uh, you get a notification that somebody sent you a snap, Snapchat, or somebody has sent you a, 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 a comment on your other social media, and Twitter or Facebook or something like that. It can reach you and distract you. And uh, when it comes to distractions, those are kind of temporary things, and maybe there's not a big fallout from our distraction there. But how many know there's a big danger in distracted driving? And when you're driving and you've got that phone out there, and, uh, and now there's, it's against the law to have it anywhere on your being, right? You're supposed to have it put away. But how many of you are like me? I've noticed some other drivers driving down the road, and I'm like, oh, you are against the law right now. If I would only deputize myself and pull you over, right? Why is it dangerous? It's dangerous because that thousands of pounds vehicle that we're driving, when we're distracted even a little bit, we can miss the car in front of us braking. We can miss the person walking across the road. Or we could miss something really important, like the speed limit, right? <laughs> and distracted driving has become such a problem in America that now our emergency rooms are, are just as full of people from distracted text driving as drunk driving, it's, it's equal or more because people are distracted. When you think of your faith in terms of driving and you wanna get where you need to go, there are some things that divert your attention, can get you off track and kinda of dilute your ability to stay on the road. And 
Stay full of faith. And uh, I'm thankful for the salvation that Jesus has brought into my life, and I hope you are in yours. But there are, there are battles that we face. There's distractions around us that want to get us off the path. And perhaps the single greatest enemy we all face to keep our focus on the things that are most important in the world, pulling us into distracted living, is that. It's distraction. And today we're going to see a powerful picture of the dangers of divided vision. And at the same time, the power of pure vision, pure faith. In 1 Kings 18, you can turn there because we're going to be there for a little bit and in a few minutes. We see the story of Elijah. And he is being sent to speak to the nation. He's speaking to the people of Israel as well as the, the leadership of Israel. And Israel had become distracted. They had been led out of Egypt and they had been in the wilderness. And while they were in the wilderness, God had met all of their needs. He was their center focus. He brought them food and water every single day. He was their only God. But now that they've stepped into the promised land and now they've got their own homes and now they have their own farms, now they begin to rely on other things, and the people that they lived around relied on other gods. And now there were distractions on the side. There was a buzz going off on the phone, if you will. And now they were facing distraction. And when we arrived at 1 Kings 18, there is a problem. And the problem is it has not rained for three years. How many know we would have a problem if it didn't rain or snow for three years? I had to throw the snow in there too. We would have a problem. Our land would be dried up. Our water supply would be challenged and compromised. And there would be difficulty, and the land would not produce vegetation. That's what the setting is for 1 Kings 18. And this, there, it's not just the, the land and what we see. It's also the spiritual condition of the people. The people also have gone through a drought. The people also were spiritually dry and distracted. And they had fallen into apathy and disinterest in, in God, the God who loved them. Now, this is a condition I call double-minded. It's a biblical word, double-minded. Jesus speaks of it in Matthew 6 when he says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. He echoes the same idea through James in James chapter one when he says, when you ask him, be sure that your faith is what? In God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. So you're thinking about your faith and the condition of your faith. If your faith becomes divided, like he's speaking of here in James, then you are in a dangerous place because double-minded faith doesn't work. They're unstable. Last week I had a boat on the platform and I talked about being unstable. It's unstable when you have a double mind, a double-minded faith. And this is exactly what we see here in 1 Kings 18. So I'm doing the setup for you. What's going on in this place? Well, in 1 Kings 18, the people were serving the gods of the people that are around them in the land. Those gods were called Baal or Baal and Ashtoreth. And Baal was seen as the god of weather. 
the God of storms and the sun. They had acknowledged that God was Yahweh, the one true God, but they also believed that following Baal was a more practical way for farmers to follow. So they were actually having faith in two things. They followed God, Yahweh, but they also included faith and trust in another God in the land. And there was Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was the goddess of, of fertility, and from her, things were supposed to grow. And here's what happened. The people were easily convinced that while God may be the God of the desert and the battles behind them and the God of power, it was Baal who was in charge of the more mundane aspects of everyday life, like rain and crops and livestock. And because they began to trust in both, they had blended faith. And friends, a blended faith is a broken faith. A blended faith is a broken faith. Because the people looked to Baal and Ashtoreth to control their weather and their provision, God allowed the rain to be held back, to stop. It was God that brought the drought. In fact, I want you to consider this, and this is really cool about the Bible, those of you that are students of the word, that when you see miracles in the Old Testament, specifically the miracles underneath Elijah in the in 1 Kings, they aren't isolated miracles. They actually are direct confrontations of God to the gods of the age. Every miracle counteracted the God of the age. So the miracle we're about to see, rain went away and rain comes back, it is a direct confrontation with the God Baal. Because how many know our God is over all the weather? Our God is greater than anybody else's stuff. And by the way, we are always challenged in our own stories because in your faith, faith can seem simple, can it? And some people view people that are Christians as simple people. Well, you don't understand the real world. You don't understand what it's like out there. Other people know more stuff. And yes, I understand. You can go to this TED Talk and that TED Talk about whatever you want to go to. But I'm going to tell you this. You can't put your trust in anyone but Yahweh. In anyone but the one true God. Because the moment your heart begins to do that, you have a blended faith. And a blended faith is broken. It doesn't work. So let's go right into 1 Kings chapter 18. And you will see that what God is about to do through Elijah is he's going to confront the double mind of Israel. And he's going to point their hearts back to God. I love this because the scene is on Mount Carmel. And there's a group of people there. The prophets of Baal and then just one guy, Elijah. Verse 20. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. And then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. This is really interesting. This is a commentary, that last verse. Because essentially Elijah says, pick it. Which one is your God? You can't be double-minded any longer. Pick which one is it. And the people had gone so far away from the one true God that they were silent. They couldn't choose a side. Now I'm just going to say this in this day and age where there's a lot of opinions and a lot of people, opinions about just about everything, whether it's politics or it's uh, what we do with our bodies or our sexuality or there's all kinds of opinions that are out there. When we begin to follow other things than the word of God and it so consumes our mind, when the time comes, friends, 
when the time comes where we have to choose between, we might be compromised. And at the very least, we might be muted, unable to say what we need to say in the moment. How many of you have friends or family members who are away from Jesus? You know, there are gonna be moments in your story and it won't probably be in church when it's the time for you to step up. There's a crisis in the family and they need somebody that knows how to pray. Or they need somebody who will step in and love them and be a Christian in that setting. And they don't know you're a Christian. And it's in that moment when you're compromised internally that you don't have the courage to step up and you're muted just like the people of Israel. You don't have the power that you could have because it's been diluted. And that's what's happening here. The problem was a blending of worship to God with Baal. And Baal traditions probably seemed innocent to the people of Israel. It's just what people do around us. But God was about to reveal their split loyalty had brought drought to their land and their lives spiritually. And I've known people that over time, good people, good Christ followers, that wanted to build relationships with the people in their community. And I believe that God wants us to do that. We're called to be salt and light with friends and neighbors and people that are on our kids' ball teams and people that we work with and those kind of things. God wants us to be salt and light. So we need to develop relationships in those people. But I've known friends that got into relationships with people and they started hanging with people who did not yet love Jesus. And as they spent more and more time with them, now all of a sudden they begin to follow the pattern of a life of worship that their friends had. And now church wasn't as important and whatever, you know, sports can take over our young families nowadays, can it? Other things can, all, nowadays parents are expected to put their kids in, in just about every music, extra uh, teaching stuff, every, every kind of science camp type of things, as well as sports. And it's all good and you wanna take care of your kids and that kind of thing, but here's what happened. These friends that we knew, they began to spend more and more time with their friends and less and less time in their faith and worship. And it wasn't wrong what they were doing, but in their hearts they were now compromised. And the longer they went, the more other things changed in their life. God's things didn't matter as much to them. And so their commitments, their morals, everything began to change. And they had one foot in the church and another foot somewhere else. And as they lived, their heart began to change. And then, of course, things like you know social drinking turned into heavy drinking. And then they found themselves in a place where they believed in God, but their faith would not sustain their lifestyle. And when they hit difficulty, their marriage was under pressure or their, their life, they didn't know how to make choices. And here's the worst part of the whole story. It's both worst and best. The best part of it is, is that we serve a savior that allows us to repent and turn around. That, you know, when you live that way, you can actually turn around and change your direction. You can, and God honors the humble prayer. If you bow your heart and you say, I'm wrong, I've drifted away from you, God answers your prayer. Come on, somebody, I'm thankful for that. That's me, that's you, I'm grateful that he allows us back in. But here's the, the, the other side of the coin, that even though the parents turned her back around, their kids had grown up underneath that. And their kids, as they spent time following the pattern of worship lifestyle, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they adopted their parents' life. So they didn't go to church very often. That wasn't as important as other things were. 
And listen, kids don't ever go beyond your moral lid. They stretch it out from there. And so not only did these kids adopt some of those things that maybe weren't healthy for their life, they went further with it. And this is what I'm saying to you. When you worship two different things, it has a deep impact on your soul. And that's what a drought looks like. A drought looks like a relationship that doesn't have God birth love in it. A drought looks like something where you can't think clearly when you're making decisions with your money. And you don't know what to do with your time and how to invest in family. And then it becomes all about what meets your momentary needs. And friends, we don't need that, do we? We need to keep our eyes on the eternal and trust in our Savior. And this is where Israel was. They were in a tough, tough place. Look at verse 22. Elijah sets this challenge up against these other gods, and I love this. He says, then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450, so it's 450 to one. Now bring two bowls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord, the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all of the people agreed. Now this is what I like about Elijah. There's not gonna be any gray area here. He's basically saying, it's a cage match. Hailing from Blaine, Minnesota. In the one corner we have 200 and none of your business pounds, six foot two, Pastor Nate. You right? And in the other corner, 450 people. Now here's what I want you to catch. Elijah is not afraid. He set up the match. He's not afraid because he knows what? He knows whatever each one of those 450 people do, all their prayers aren't gonna work. Because he's been talking to the one guy who shut the faucet off in the first place. And Elijah's in a place where he's like, we got this, but I'm gonna make it clear. And God was sending him to, to, to really not be about what happens in the cage, but to, to the people's hearts that were watching. God was interested in them observing and saying, ooh, we need to get back to God. We need to get back to the one true God, Yahweh. Then he says in verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first. It's a little cocky about this point. For there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call in the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. And so they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar, and then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. And then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. There was no reply of any kind. This is interesting. This is actually a real test for ourselves. Those things that we kind of get caught up in, things and activities and even voices from outside the Bible or outside the church that kind of have an impact on us. When we get caught up in those, how much of that helps us when we hit our crisis? And basically that's what he's exposing that now they're in a crisis. They really need Baal to answer them. This is a big moment. This isn't a time for you to take a break. 
In fact, at that moment, they're, they're thinking, I need help, but it's not helping them. And Elijah's ready at this moment. You can see in the next few verses what he does. He starts taunting them. What's going on? Is your God on the toilet? You can read it in your version. It might say relieving himself or something like that. And he's taunting them, like, because he knows they're not going to do anything. It's not going to amount to much. It's not going to work. And then verse 30, this is when Elijah's turn comes. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he prepared the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. And he took 12 stones, one each to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. And he piled wood on the altar and cut the bowl into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. And then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. This is interesting. He, he takes the stones. And by the way, it says he had to rebuild the altar. This altar to Yahweh was under disrepair. Nobody had been paying attention to it. So while everything is going on, the most important thing had been neglected. And I think we need to be careful to make sure that the most important things don't get neglected in our lives. Amen? But it had been neglected by all of Israel. So he fixes it and puts the wood there and puts a bowl on it. Part of fixing it meant he put 12 stones around representing the tribes of Israel. This is really pulling on the root system of their faith. He's saying, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what you believe. Don't forget what's important to Yahweh. Don't forget that God meets us when we call upon him. Don't forget that he brought you across the Red Sea on dry land. Don't forget that he's always been there in the story of Israel. Don't forget it. So he's putting that piece back together. And then he takes these jars of water and he, and he says, now pour it on there. Because he's going to let them know there is no other excuse. Nobody's going to be able to put a YouTube show out there on a conspiracy on how this wasn't really fire from heaven. There's nobody that's going to be able to say that Bush did it on 9-11, right? There's none of that kind of conspiracy stuff that's going to work. So he pours water on it. He pours as much water as he can over it. And then he says, do it three times, okay? And by the way, what is he doing? He's wasting water in the middle of a drought. He's not leaving himself any room because if it doesn't work out, they're going to kill him. And so he puts it out there on the altar and he prays. And this is what I love because Elijah prays for the miracle that will bring clear, undivided vision to the people. It isn't about the miracle and the show. It's about the people in their hearts getting clear, undivided vision. First Kings 18, verse 36, look at that. At the usual time for offering for the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed. I want you to imagine yourself praying, God hearing you. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the, the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. 
And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. What a moment. What a moment. Just for a second, I want you to imagine what gives Elijah strength in his prayer at that moment. I would suggest to you there's a backstory to his prayer life. Elijah, during those three years of drought, probably was experiencing what everybody else did. He might have even been blamed for it. Word might have spread he was the one that prayed that the heavens would shut up. But during those three years of drought, he kept his source being Yahweh. So while everybody else was chasing this solution and that solution, finding their hope in their retirement fund or finding their hope in their friend group or whatever it is that's around them that's doing whatever they're doing, while they're doing all of that, and listen, he probably had his own friends too, he kept his heart undivided. If you are in the middle of a drought and you're in the middle of a difficult season, the most important thing for you is to keep a pure heart. Don't let your heart get polluted because you'll need it when the time comes for you to have powerful prayers. You'll need it at that moment. For Elijah, when he stepped up to pray, he was praying to a God that he had already talked to that day and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. If you want a powerful prayer in your life, you have to regularly pray now before the big event happens. You gotta develop that kind of prayer life. It's just the way it is. You're like, well, I don't know how to pray. You know how you start praying? You just by talking. You just talk to God, whatever's in your head, you talk to him. He's not impressed by written prayers. He's impressed by prayers that come from here. And if you wanna learn how to pray, maybe stand next to somebody that knows how to pray. Listen to how they pray. And at the end of it, just pray like I pray. Learn to pray. And if you get that as a part of your story, you can pray prayers like Elijah prayed. You can do it. Now, overall, the drought itself was a setup. It was a contrast between Yahweh and trusting in false gods. And when the fire came down, everyone knew the people would turn back to God and they fell face down because there really was only one God in the first place. And I love this moment because God responds to people when they turn when they repent. They were going one direction, and repentance is real simple. It isn't saying, I'm sorry, and keep walking in that direction. Repentance is going in a different direction. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages by checking out emmanuelcc.org. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers by visiting emmanuelcc.org. Be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.